The scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 31. It can be found on page 1 in the Black Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the water, waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Jennifer, Kevin, thanks so much for reading and thank you all for being here. My name is John Trapp. I'm the senior pastor here at Christ the King, as I said earlier. Um, Particularly want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there who sure are thankful for each one of you and it's good to be with you this Mother's Day. Um, One of the things that we believe at Christ the King is that the Bible is all one big story. Um, I don't know if you're, if, if you ever watched like a TV show and you watch the first episode and you're like, man, they're gonna make up this story as they go along. You can just kind of feel it. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Lost, but I just felt that with Lost, okay? Like you're like, they don't know where they're going with this. They're just kind of making up this as they go along. And there's a way to read the Bible where you kind of think that's what God's doing. Um, but what we believe at this church is that God knew what he was doing all along. That from the beginning to the end of scripture, um, we are seeing one big story. It's what we call the, the fancy um, theological word for this is covenant theology. Um, but we believe that all throughout the pages of scripture, we're seeing one story of a holy, righteous God who is also extravagant with his grace and kindness to his creation. And this is the beginning of that story that we find ourselves in today. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray and ask that the Lord would help us um, as we begin. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for who you are. And we ask that now you would help us to see more clearly your character and your nature um, we can only do that if your, if your spirit would give us the eyes and the heart to, to see and to believe. And so we pray that you would help us and that as we see you for who you are, that you would help us to see us and ourselves for who we are um, and our need for you. And we pray and ask that you would teach us now by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to speak to a couple not individuals, but just people in the crowd who I'm guessing are here today who are wondering, all right, all right, like what's the take gonna be on Genesis 1? Like what's, where does this church stand? What's our, what's our view on like the, the length of the days and kind of like the mechanics of how this creation happened? And one of the things I want you to know just about the denomination that you're in is that actually within the Presbyterian Church in America denomination, we have determined that there's four acceptable views for even how you read the length of the days of creation. And 
I'm not going to preach on that today because some of you might fall asleep. And there's a great ad interim report. If you really want to like geek out on that, you should go and Google it and read it. You'll find it. Uh, PCA ad interim report on creation. Um, but the, the, the real reason that I'm, I'm not going to like delve into that is because I don't think that's why Genesis 1 was written to tell us all the mechanisms of like that, that a 21st century Western modern would want to know about exactly how the creation happened. There is, there is a how question that's being answered here in this passage. And it's be, the how is it was by God's word out of nothing. That's how creation happened. By the word of God's power, and he did it out of nothing and, and demonstrated his power in doing so. That's how creation happened. But really what this passage is getting at is the who and the why of creation. And I think one of the reasons we can, we can, I can say this to you is, is even just the original context in which Genesis was given to the people of God. So Genesis was written, the book of Genesis was written by Moses, who, by the way, if you think about it, was like the perfect person to write the book of Genesis. He was adopted by, um, by Pharaoh's daughter. He had access to all of Egypt's libraries. He was educated. He was literate. Um, the perfect person for God to raise up to write the book of Genesis. He had access to all these other creation stories um, in the ancient Near East. And it's in the wilderness as the people of Israel are wondering in the wilderness, but they're also like wondering about who this God is, that, that Moses gives them the narrative of Genesis from God. And I want you to think about like, why, why would they be asking themselves this question? Well, they're, they've, they've been freed from slavery. They're out of Egypt, but they're they're wandering in the wilderness and it's dark and it feels chaotic and they're wondering if God is good or not. They're actually beginning to look back at Egypt and saying, man, remember when we were in Egypt? Oh, it was so great. We had meat pots back there and we could eat cucumbers and like there, was, there was food and they're, they're misremembering Egypt, right? Um, but they're, they're looking back and their eyes are wandering to these other gods and this other nation Asking themselves, should we, would we be better off serving those gods? Would we be better off following the gods of the other nations, including Egypt's? And it's into this context that we received, that Israel received Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, I want you to see three things that are drawn out about who this God is. First, the hosts, the title of the sermon is The Host of Creation. So first, I want you to see the host's nature Second, the host's spread, because any good host has a good spread, right? And then third, the host's invitation. The, the host's nature, the host's spread, the host's invitation. So it's to this people who are in darkness, in trial, unsure about God's authority and goodness, that we are given an insight into just how good this God is in Genesis 1. So Yahweh is presented first and foremost in Genesis 1 as the supreme God, the one true God. In fact, it's a little bit comical if you think about all these other gods that, are maybe, that Israel's maybe tempted to follow. Those gods were, would, would have been the Egyptian, like the, the sun god, Ra, or the god of the moon, or the god of the, 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 the waters, or the ocean, or the god of the harvest. And 
the author of Genesis comes along and says, hey, you know all those things that you're worshiping? Yeah, God made them. God is better than those gods because God actually made them. And, and these are all things that are beneath him. There is one true creator, God. And because he's the true supreme God, here, this is an interesting concept I want y'all to think about. This God is presented as a God who doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need anything from us. Um, and this is, this is massively contrasted to the other creation stories of the ancient Near East that this would have been in, okay? So one creation story that I read up on this past week is the, the Enuma Elish. It's the Babylonian creation story, super ancient, ancient, ancient text. And you read it, and what you see is that there's all these gods. It's polytheistic. That means many gods, kids. There's many gods in this world that, they, that they're talking about. And it's out of these gods fighting and battling each other and arguing with each other. It's out of these gods fight that the world is made. And there's parts of the Enuma Elish that frankly sound like Genesis 1 if you read it. But one of the key differences is you've got lots of gods fighting and the reason that mankind is made is so that those gods will stop fighting. Mankind is made to serve as slaves to those gods, to appease those gods, to bring them food and wine and drink so that they will be at ease and at rest. And that's why mankind is made because those gods need something. Even even other monotheistic religions, so religions that say there's only one God, even other monotheistic religions that aren't Christian, they still have a God who needs something from his people. Let me me tell you what I mean by that. So I'll use um, Islam for an example. The God of Islam, Allah, is a God who, for eternity before creation, was alone. He was one God, one person, one God alone. And so what that means is Allah, unless Allah creates, Allah cannot have fellowship, cannot have communion, cannot have worshipers, cannot cannot be in a loving relationship. And what's entirely different about the God who's presented in Genesis 1 is we do have one God who exists in three persons. And, and we, it's really easy to kind of blow past the Trinity because it's really hard to understand the Trinity. But the Trinity is amazing. And what the Trinity, one of the things that we can kind of understand and believe because of the Trinity is that God is in his essence love. He's existed in community with himself for eternity. And so we see the persons of the Trinity even in Genesis 1. You see the spirit hovering over the dark waters of chaos in Genesis 1-2. And it's a very personified kind of language that's used. It's almost a maternal kind of language that's used. It's the same Hebrew word, that hovering word in Genesis 1-2 that's used for mother birds hovering over their eggs before they're hatch or their hatchlings before they're learning to fly. That there's this intimacy between the Spirit of God and what He's about to create. But if you think that I'm, that I'm making this up, look, look even at verse 26. When God, when God is about to create man, 
he says, let us make man in our image. So you've got one God, but now he's saying, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? And, you know, there's lots of different answers that scholars have come up with. One is maybe like, maybe he's talking to the angelic realm and host that's around him. But the prob- even the problem with that is, is the very next verse, it doesn't say that man is made in the image of angels. What's it say? So when God says, let us make man in our image, what happens? So God created man in his own image. We're made in the image of God. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're going to talk more about exactly what that means in coming weeks. But for the time being, what I want you to see is that there, is, there, are, there are multiple persons involved in the creation on day one of creation. And because of that, we have a God who doesn't need things from us like the other gods that the Egyptians had and that Israel was looking back at. Those were gods who even needed to be created, needed to be carved out of wood or stone. They're gods that needed their sacrifices, that needed, they're they're needy gods. But the God who's presented in Genesis 1 is a God who has everything he needs in himself. He has all the love, all the friendship, all the community. He is fully God. So why would a God who has everything he needs in himself create? Why? Out of an overflow to share in it because it's so good. God created, this God who's presented in Genesis 1 is a God who creates to host, to host us, to share in his joy and in his life and in his love, to welcome his creation into fellowship with him so that we can glorify him and enjoy him forever. He welcomes us into an enjoyment of him. And as we enjoy him, it brings him glory. He welcomes us into life with himself. Um, It's hard for us to imagine someone being in a relationship not to take but to give. But that's exactly who this God is. It's hard for us to imagine that because so many of our relationships are actually transactional. Or we often treat them as transactional. We treat our friends as transactional relationships, people that we're looking to get things from. So we'll be a friend with somebody if they're funny or if we enjoy them or if they're really life-giving to us or if they have a cool ranch that maybe they'll invite us to sometime or if, um, if, if they are really encouraging to us. That's a transactional relationship, a relationship that we're in for our own good. We do this with our spouses you know, I'm, I'm going to build up as many of those chips as I can so that I can play them and go to the golf weekend, right? I mean, some of y'all, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I kind of thought about that today on Mother's Day. It's like, okay, Father's Day is coming in June. I want to establish like how awesome Mother's Day can be so that in a month, the bar has been set and I can get the same level to that bar, right? Transactional. We're transactional in the way that we relate to our kids. You know, like, think about like, how much of our time we spend just act, making sure our kids are adding to our bottom line, to doing what we want them to do, to making us look good. How are you doing in school? Who are you dating? Who are your friends? 
Like, like we, we, we think of them almost as folks who are supposed, these kids are supposed to make us look good. We, we, it's a, that's a taking relationship. And kids, we, we do the same thing to our kids. I'm saying we because I'm also the child of parents, right? And we do this with our parents, right? Can I have some money? Can, can I go to my friend's house? Can I spend the night? Can I do, you know, like we, we treat one another in such transactional ways so often. But the God in Genesis 1 <clears throat> is a God who didn't make you to take from you. He didn't make you to take from you. He made you to give, to give of himself to you, which is the best thing that there is, is himself. Is it selfish for God to want himself for you? Not if he's the best thing there is. For you to glorify him and to enjoy him is the best thing. It's what you were made for. And so he makes you and welcomes you in to life with him. And so he shows them then his goodness by the spread that he puts up before us. As Egypt, or as Israel is considering who this God is, and if he's good. I want you to look again at verse two. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. This would not have been as hard for Israel to imagine because they're leaving a place that was without form and void, and that's Egypt. They're, they, they've just left a place that has been massively deformed and emptied. The, the words um, without form and void, it's a Hebrew um, phrase, tohu vabohu. Tohu meaning, um, tohu meaning without form and bohu meaning empty, okay? So I want you to think about those, those two words because these words are, are, kind of, are almost headers for what the rest of creation is going, to, uh, what God's gonna do with the rest of creation. There is a formlessness and an emptiness to the creation and that's exactly what Israel has seen happen to Egypt in the plagues, with the 10 plagues, right? So the early plagues, what happens? This world that had Egypt, which was formed and had boundaries within it, and all of a sudden, the frogs are leaving the Nile, and the gnats are coming from all over the place, and everything is kind of like crossing boundaries and getting more and more chaotic. Flies, gnats, and then hail is raining down. And all, all of this formlessness, tohu, formlessness, leads to emptiness, bohu. So what happens later with the plagues? There is, there are, are with the, uh, the hail, there is a famine. They run out of food. They're emptied of food. They're empty of light. There's, the dark, the, the, there's a, a day of darkness. The sun is blackened out. And ultimately, they are emptied of life among them. The firstborn son on the 10th plague, the firstborn son of every Egyptian is killed. Tohu, bohu, formlessness, emptiness. That is what Egypt has found itself in, the situation Egypt's found itself in, in worshiping other gods. Because when you worship any other god, do you know where it's taking you to? It's taking you to emptiness. And that's what happens to Egypt, and that's what's being warned against here. And in order to demonstrate that, 
Genesis 1 shows us that God, when you worship God, rather than the God who takes from you and leaves you empty, you have a God who gives to you and leaves you with life. And so what happens in Genesis 1 through 3, the tohu problem, the formlessness problem, is fixed. And God creates these realms. He creates the heavens, light and dark. He creates the skies and the seas. And then he creates land, one, two, three. And then he begins to fill bohu, there is an emptiness, right? He begins to fill these different spheres that he's just made with life. So the heavens now get the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. The sky and the sea now is filled with sea creatures and birds. And then day three corresponds to day six. You see how it's going? One, four, two, five. Day three, this realm that God has created, created that he's formed is now going to be filled. It's going to be filled with land animals and people. God is bringing first order and then life. And we have to have both to be a good host. Listen, you can't be a good host if things are disordered. It's why we all like frantically clean our houses before someone comes over, right? We want to bring order. It's why my wife, when we were dating in college, never came to my house. I wanted to host her. She came one time. The rest of the time we hung out, it was at her place because I lived with seven guys and it was disgusting. There was a, it was tohu. It was formless, okay? Like, it, needed, it needed serious order. And it was, because it was formless, it was inhospitable. You couldn't host there. God is a host who spreads before his people a place that is ordered and fit for life, and then he fills it with life. And do you see what God is saying about this? What he's calling it? He calls it good. God is aimed at making a world that is good. It's good for him. It's good for his created beings. It's good for us. He makes, he makes a home. He makes a home for us. And, you know, every other religion kind of talks about, like, escaping earth and going to paradise or going to heaven. Do you know that Christianity is different than that? Because Christianity, the, the Bible ends with us here on earth because this is the home God, God made. God makes a home and he hosts us in it. And in that home, he pours out his goodness to us. He shows us just how good of a God he is. Have you ever thought about, he didn't have to make all the senses. He didn't have to make sound, but he did. He made sound so that we could have music, so that we could have laughter, so that we could hear each other's voices and remember stories. He made taste so that we could have Tex-Mex. Praise the Lord. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. All of the, he, made, he made touch so that we can feel what it's like when, you're, when it's 110 degrees in June, which is coming, sadly. And like you jump into a shaded pool in Houston and feel relief. He made that. He made, he made smell so that you can smell freshly roasted coffee in the morning. You can smell honeysuckle. You can smell your best friend's house, which for some reason just has that smell, you know? He made all of these things so that we could see 
the goodness. He made sight. He made sight so that we could see a sunset, which he didn't have to make. Mountains, valleys, canyons. He made all of this, and all of these are gifts. Because you see, at the end of the passage, God, he tells his creation, this is a gift to you. I've given you all of this for you to eat and to take. It's a gift. Creation is a gift, and it's pointing us to the giver. God doesn't need to take anything from you. He creates us so that we can participate in his gift of life and love and fellowship with him, glorifying him, enjoying him. But our problem is that so often, and we're going to get to Genesis 3 and the sin problem. We're getting there. But like sneak peek, okay, just let me touch on this for a second. Our, one of our problems is that in Genesis 3, what you see is that the giver is rejected for the sake of the gifts. Like we, we don't, we have rebelled against the one who's made all of this and welcomed us to know him because we just want his stuff and we don't want him. And do you know what that leads to? Well, Israel sees where that leads to for, for Egypt because they've, they, have, they are worshiping created things and where that leads them is tohu vabohu, right? Without form and empty. And y'all, do you feel empty today? Like, did you show up today and maybe, like, maybe there's a part of you like, where you, like, you really feel an emptiness. That emptiness is very likely because we are looking to something to satisfy us that is not the creator. It's a created thing. And it can't. When we look to something besides the creator to fulfill us, to, to, to satisfy us, we will be vastly disappointed and left empty. But the creation, the creation is final point. It remains to us an invitation to know the host. Even though we have fallen, even though we have sinned, even though we have rejected him, the creation remains an invitation to know him. And one of the things I want you, um, I want you to consider is that every time God creates in Genesis 1, he speaks, and God said, let there be light, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And later on in the Bible, the Apostle John tells us what's going on with that. Because he says this creative word of God is actually a person. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And he says, all things were made through him. The Lord Jesus took on flesh. The one who created all things, the word by which all things were made. Here's, here's the good news of the gospel for you today, okay? Listen to this. The one who, has, who had been rejected by, by, by Adam and Eve, when God was, re was rejected by them and they rebelled against him, God did not stop extending an invitation for them to know him. So much so that Jesus stepped into 
the chaos of our world, a world that is without form and void. In fact, Jesus so stepped into the chaos. Think about, this is beautiful how much the Bible parallels itself and is building on. I mean, it is not a story that was written kind of as God went along. Because, I mean, you think about the, um, the plagues, you know, and the last plague being on Passover day when a lamb was sacrificed so that, um, so that Israel could be spared, the firstborn of Israel could be spared. On Pas- Passover night, years later, when Jesus is celebrating with his disciples, he's still thinking about wanting to host them. He wants to host them. He gives them a table. He spreads a table before them so that he can host them. And Jesus then goes to the cross and just like that ninth day plague of black darkness in the sky, when Jesus is on the cross, the world descends, he descends into chaos again. There's this, the sky goes dark. The firstborn of creation is on a cross. And he's on a cross stepping into our chaos not so that he can take from you, but because he wants to give you life. He does that to give anyone who would come to him life. You will not find life anywhere else. Everything else will take from you. Your job, if you're looking, if your job will take from you. It will not fill you up. Nothing, nothing can except him. So the one who goes into the chaos, listen to what he says to his disciples, that Passover meal with them in John 14. He says, the day before he goes to the cross with them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. That sounds like someone who wants to host you. In my Father's house are not, a, no, not a few rooms, not three or four rooms, many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The Lord Jesus goes before us to prepare a place for us because he desires still to host us. And anyone who would come to him and ask, and ask that he might give them entrance, He'll give it to you. Come to him in faith. If, if you're like me, and maybe you're being reminded of your idolatry, and, you're, and how all this other stuff that we chase after leaves us empty, repent again. Just like you've had to over and over again, perhaps, if you're a Christian. Repent and turn to Jesus and know that he is a host who extends grace and welcome. And y'all... I can't help but say this. If we're going to be people who believe that God has hosted us like this and has extended this kind of hospitality, let's, let's imagine what it would be like for us to extend that same hospitality that we've received. Let's imagine more and more as a church how we can be emissaries of the gracious and hospitable God that we believe is true and is real. Let's participate in his welcome, in his invitation to his creation that he is going to make new again.
Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the good news of the gospel, that, um, that you did not stop pursuing us even when we rebelled against you. We thank you that you have made a home, and it's a home that you plan to redeem and to restore and to put any of your people, uh, any who have come to you in your home with you for eternity. We ask that this would be um, what we live for and that we would not live for any other thing than you, Lord Jesus. Would you change our hearts and make us more like you? And it's in your name we pray, amen.